0: You're listening to wera 96.7 fm and this is media on the radio so today on the podcast we have andy limberg as a special co-host he joins us to talk to rick siebeck who is a documentarian who's worked for pbs making uh, local documentaries in pittsburgh as well as national documentaries If you flip through the channels on regular TV in the last 20 years, you've probably seen one of his documentaries. We get into that, and I have Andrew here to help frame the conversation a little bit. In middle school, you first reach out to Rick Siebeck. Um, I'm in my mid-30s now and have been
1: basically stalking him since I was in seventh grade. Now you know we've become friends and Rick has become a local celebrity and also nationally renowned
0: for his documentaries it's a really fun conversation even for people that are outside of pittsburgh i think it'll be really fascinating to learn what it's like to produce documentaries at pbs Um, but also you know if you're from pittsburgh you know rick Seebeck, you know his documentaries you're gonna find this interesting and then if you get to the very end of it where we're doing impressions of kennywood memories um you're probably a family member of ours at that point so take a listen go for it uh yeah, go for it. Andrew called me up and was like, "Hey, do you want to have go have lunch with Rick Beck? <laughs> Randomly, like it was there was no preface or anything, and so I said, "Okay." And so we went and we got a tour of QED. And I think we were, were we in high school, yeah, or early college when we
2: when you came here and we went up to Mr. Rogers. Yeah, because the... we was... went up to his. Yeah, you were up there in his office and you when... said,
1: "Let me go see if Fred's in." And he was supposedly
2: supposed to be doing some about like with the Grand Roses Parade. Yes, in he was. The, he was the Grand Marshal of the uh, Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena. That was his last public appearance. And then
0: we actually you took us out to lunch to Lulu's Noodles. I remember that. And we just chatted. We just asked you a bunch of questions about what you do and. And um, we knew a fair amount because we were a little bit obsessed with Kennywood Memories, which is one of your earlier earlier works of documentary film. But Andrew's connection is, is a bit stronger because he had been stalking you for
2: for several years before that. Stalking is a strong <laughs> word, but an accurate one. I do remember it was unusual. It was unusual to get a letter from a kid who sort of said – would you mind if I came and watched one day while you're working? And like, well, that's kind of interesting. And I thought it was really ballsy because as a kid, I think I would have liked that too, but I wouldn't have had the the chutzpah to do it. And so I thought it was a great thing. And like and how hard could that be? And, uh, you know, he said his dad would bring him, and I said we were working on the strip show. And so they came and they sort of followed us for the day. When you first mentioned that he, he was sort of stalking me, and I thought, oh, I guess I'm odd. I always, I, I'm sort of flattered by stalkers. People I just think are just a little too interested in the shows. It's only flattering. <laughs> Actually, yesterday, I was putting groceries in my car at the Giant Eagle in Edgewood Town Center. And this guy got the car next to me, and he goes, uh, I love you. <laughs> and I just thought like, "Wow, oh, that's nice. And he said, you know, he said, I can't. My wife said I shouldn't bother you, but I just thought I had to say something. And so, I mean, it's really nice. People, I have such a comfortable level of celebrity. And uh, I mean, I can, I shouldn't say it because I probably like jinx myself or something. But everybody always says nice things. It's, well, I was
1: going to ask you, like, how often does it happen? Like once a week or multiple
2: times a day? People just like kind of see you and just wave or. Oh, it, I, I don't know. I've never tried to count. I would say it's once a day at least. I have a younger brother, PK, um, and he's 10 years younger than me, you know. And uh, I, for, I forget where we were. We were hanging out somewhere or something. And real early on, someone came up and said, Hey, are you that guy from Channel 13? And I said, Yeah, I am. And I sort of played it coy, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, thank you, you know. But that was sort of it and everything. And when that person left, my brother, PK, said, You have to be nicer to people because that's hard for somebody to come up and say something to you. And so you should be nicer. And, a, you know, you're never supposed to listen to your younger brother, but I did. And, and, and I've taken that to heart. And I, That har- I, I,
0: happened early on, you mean?
2: Yeah, that was real early on. What's weird is I remember one time this woman said to me here at work, she said, I have a friend who saw you at Gabe's with a woman. And I said, well, that would have been my mother. <laughs> but, I mean, it was just so odd. This person didn't say anything to me. It was just passed on. I saw Rick Seaback with some woman at Gabe's. Uh, well, you know, we were you shopping. Almost, <laughs> it becomes a really small town at that point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Pittsburgh is a tiny town.
0: I follow you on Instagram, and, and I'm always seeing you out at, like, new restaurants. And it's almost like you've become – and I'm sure they love when you show up and post something on, on Facebook. But it's almost like you're the the kind of the de facto food guru. Because you've made all these documentaries and then you show up. But what if th- something's not the greatest?
2: Then I don't not. post it. I mean, if, if, if it's just, you know, oh, OK, um, I don't post it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I probably take pictures because I, I sort of I think of everything as a potential Facebook post or Instagram picture. Have you ever heard firsthand stories of somebody saying
1: to the owner of a place like, oh, we came here because Rick had a.
2: Oh, yeah. 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 And I'm so very... I'm sure they really appreciate, you know. I oh, I mean the, probably the biggest example of that is uh, Pittsburgh Smokehouse which is in Wilkins Township. I they've never been in a show but I've I've championed them um on my Facebook and Twitter and stuff uh, a lot. Uh, Andy Winscoe, He's a very cool guy and you know, a great character and he uh he's smoking my turkey breast right now for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Does that make
0: you realize, like, the power that you kind of have If, <laughs> the if power. you say something or you show up at a restaurant and and uh, you just snap, could affect. hoagie now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> or I'm not putting it on no, Instagram. No, people – I can't tell you how many people have said that. Do you, do you have to pay for food anywhere? I said, like, you know, get out, you know? No, I mean, of course well, I have uh, I'm sure I, of course there I are – to pay for
1: food. But I'm sure there are people that – there are some places that maybe –
2: There's only one. Oh, okay. All <laughs> the right. O. They never make me pay at the O. Um, but that's, that's it. You know, that's the only place I know where I can, you know, if, if if I lose my job and I'm homeless, I can always go get a hot dog at the, O. (laughs) what you do professionally is
0: not just Instagram food. Um, You have a long career as a documentary filmmaker. So can you talk a bit about what about your process? And just as assuming that no one knows who you are, what makes a, a Rick Seebeck documentary?
2: I was hired here at WQED in 1987 to be a local producer. I guess I'd been away for 16 years, and when I came back, I thought like, wow, this place is really cool, which I didn't have that perception when I was growing up here. It was just, you know, my hometown. But then I realized, no, there's there's something really unusual here. So then I just started to celebrate those things. I always talk about the funk factor. The funk factor is really high, but, you know, uh, the characters are really great. And not by design, but now I can see that basically my programs, local and national, are celebrations of small family-owned businesses. There's a quote. James Crumley is this novelist that I like, and he wrote a book called The Last Good Kiss. And in there, there's a character who says, I think in a bar, says, you know, it doesn't matter where you live anymore because every place is the same. And I just thought, like, you know, well, that's it's true to some extent, but no, there are still factors that make it not the same. And that's what I do. I try to find those things that... Are not the same. We did Kennywood Memories, which I had I mentioned at my you know, my job interview, and I said I've always wanted to do a documentary about Kennywood, and she said, "Ooh, that amusement park," because she was from San Francisco and she'd never even been to Kennywood, and I said, "Yeah, yeah," I said, "You know, I think for people that grow up here, it's really important. It's an important place."
1: Did that? Was that the one that you think really
2: people started to take notice? Oh, no question, no question. Yeah, we were. We were operating at a very low level, and then we did Kennywood Memories, and all of a sudden, you know, it was on the cover of the TV Guide booklet in the Post-Gazette, and, you know, uh, and it was just everywhere, and and people watched it, and uh, the the response was incredible, and that was our first DVD. It was VHS at the time, I'm sorry.
1: Well, is there any chance that we'll ever see a a return to
0: Kennywood? Um, I think not. No. Um,
2: yeah, people ask me that. That's
0: the most asked I, question. I had that question in my head too because yeah. I was just thinking about the all the 80s haircuts and styles. That we're well, it's funny. Yes.
2: <laughs> all the spandex and teased hair. But it's changed. It's changed. It's no longer a family-owned business. Right. right. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the rides are different and, you know, but I, I think the attitude is still the same. I think what interests me more and I've actually said this sometime if we run out of money here and we need you know need to put together something there's at least another hours worth of material that I have on Kennywood from 1988 and I would love to play with that you know I know there's whole interviews we never did anything with so I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, doing another Kennywood show, but it would probably be more Kennywood memories from 1988. You don't want to be that Hollywood
1: producer that's like running low and running out of <laughs> ideas. You're like, you know what, Kennywood two, we're greenlighting it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Batman seven. Well, <laughs> I did do things
2: that aren't there anymore, stuff that's gone. Well, there was a lot of and, you know, stuff though, there was and a lot things of stuff. that are still here. When I realized people didn't want to fund shows about things that are gone, people would rather fund things that are about here. Yeah. Because, you know, it sort of promotes the place. But those are still, I mean... <laughs> those are still among our biggest sellers, yeah. yeah. Do you start with a
0: big idea, like a top-down idea that you want to focus on this theme? Or do you start with like a little story that kind of grows? Like, What
2: is your process? I don't think them? there's any any rules, but I think it's more the former. It's more of a big idea that, you know, would let us do a lot of stuff. And usually when I start, I don't know what kind of gems I might be able to find. And, and I usually try to write my proposals in... The conditional tense, I guess you know, we'll do stuff like this, or you know, and and I do some research online. I mean, when we started, there wasn't internet. When I did the ice cream show, it was all just word of mouth. I knew I was going to do a story about Penn State because Penn State is the ice cream capital of the world, or something. So I got in touch with them. I said, "Can we come up and do a story?" And while I'm there doing that story, I say, "Okay, can you make me a list of the top ten, you know, ice cream places that you would recommend?" based on your knowledge of ice cream. And, of course, Ben & Jerry's were their, probably their most famous graduates of the ice cream school at Penn State. And, you know, it just went on from there. And then they, I found out about an ice cream collector's convention that happens every year, the Ice Creamers in Lancaster. And I went there and I asked everybody, could you give me a list of 10? And so, you know, and it's also, I think, one of the times when I realized, oh, you can't possibly do them all. But you can do a few. <laughs> Have you ever gone into an
1: idea really excited that you kind of were disappointed by the end result of what you were getting?
2: Huh. No. No? No, do You always I think find not. something? Yeah, because I, I sort of live by, I think it's Toulouse-Lautrec. I don't know why. The I painter. Yeah, the, the painter, Toulouse-Lautrec. At the Toulouse-Lautrec. Moulin Rouge. Yeah, who said, uh, everything is interesting if you look at it long enough. And I think that's true. You know, you can always find some angle to approach a topic and it becomes interesting to you. You've done so many projects and so many short kind of segment
0: shows for PBS or the affiliate national shows and local documentaries. Is there one that when you're looking back that, you know, you just you just worked extra hard or put extra
2: blood, sweat and tears into? I know that if someone twists my arm and says, what's your favorite show that you've ever made? I'll say a hot dog program. We did. We shot two shows at once then. Hot Dogs and Amusement Parks, Great Old Amusement Parks. I was all alone. The crew, everyone else thought, people will watch this amusement park show. No one will ever watch Hot Dogs. And they've both been popular, but Hot Dogs is way more popular than than Great Old Amusement Parks, although they both still get to air really nicely, often in the summertime especially. What was your first national My first national show was, uh, well— Technically, it was a reworking of my show about Fred Rogers called Our Neighbor, Fred. We called it Our Neighbor, Fred Rogers, and then we made a national version of it called Our Neighbor, Fred Rogers, and uh, PBS didn't want me, an unknown voice, to voice it, so we had to get a famous voice, and uh, David Hartman, who was, the head of, uh, who was the host of Good Morning America at the time. Um, voiced that for us i remember it was nice i got to go to new york and go into a studio with him and work on that and now michael keaton has then then when fred died they reworked it again they we reworked it and michael keaton who had used to work here at wqed when you talk to the people who used to work at that this is before my time here but uh he was he did picture picture on the mr rogers show and I always think it's a really interesting thing. You know, in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, it was supposed to be reality was the house. And then you went to this fantastical world when you went to the neighborhood of make-believe. But for a while, there was this odd, weird thing that didn't exist called picture-picture where you could sort of make your TV show you stuff that you wanted to see. And I said, it's Fred imagining uh, VCRs and on-demand video. Before it existed. And he would take a film canister and put it in a hole in his wall. And there was like a little sliding door. Oh, I think and, I remember that. Yeah. And he would put a can of film in there. Oh, right, right. And then it would show on his TV. And that, was the, that was the rudiments. Later it became different, but that was the first picture picture. And Michael Keaton was the person who would take the can of film when – um the, you know the little sliding door, and there's a F- Fred would tell the story. I probably have this on tape somewhere. Um, Fred said, "You know, he, he moved back the the little sliding door," and Michael Keaton said, "I will hear your confession now, my son." <laughs> <laughs> and it cracked Fred up, so they had to do another <laughs> tape. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember
0: when we met for lunch that time, when you took the tour. One of the questions we asked you was, "Why why don't you do anything?" more hard hitting or political or anything else like that. And
2: I remember your answer. I'm curious, it's still the same. curious to see what it is now. <laughs> I was so I think it's still the same. I said, there's plenty of people doing that. And I feel really lucky that I don't have to do that. Why, why would I do stuff that lots of people are doing, especially on news stations and stuff like that? Whereas I have this really kind of quirky niche where I can celebrate things. And uh, I don't know, it's, it, Celebratory television, I think, is it's not as rare as it used to be because of cable and all of that, but it's still pretty rare, I think. I think the the area, though, of TV is so big
1: that it's hard to find those kind of programs, even though they may exist, where, like, especially here in Pittsburgh, when they hear Rick Seaback, they know they're going to get – they know what they're going to get and that it's, it's going to be like a fun, nostalgic trip you know, back in time or looking at how things currently are and
2: so I think that's where you have the advantage at least here in Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, I I, I know that the shows are kind of rosy but I, it, I, it, uh, it doesn't bother me.
1: They're, well, they're, I mean, you can watch the news every night and get the other side right? How, <laughs> how
2: things aren't rosy but there are... I can tell you a story because, I mean, one of the recent shows I did was History of Pittsburgh and 17 Objects and... I went down to the Fort Pitt Museum in the po- at the point because um, I thought, well, we'll find something. And immediately they knew what they wanted me to do, which was a, uh, a horn that was used for gunpowder. And they have several of them, including one that may have the earliest portrait of Pittsburgh etched into it. I mean, you can actually see the little town and stuff. It's etched on this, bu- you know, a cow horn used to fill a, a musket, you know, to put the gunpowder in the musket, and that's the thing that we use. But while while there and like researching, you know, uh, I guess what do we call that pre-colonial Pittsburgh or whatever? Um, I was surprised to find out first of all that our first great industry wasn't glass or whiskey or any of these things you hear. It was it was deer. It was deer hides and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we were big in the fur trade. And I, I think no one ever talks about that. Um, but then in the process of that, I also saw this or found out this thing about, um, I think many of us, and I know why I know about it. It's because of the movie Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman about the uh, Custer's, uh, you know, uh, raids in the Dakotas or whatever, um, and smallpox blankets. The only documented case of British soldiers giving smallpox blankets to natives is in Pittsburgh. Oh, well, I did not know that. I didn't know this either. But, you know, where they actually have a document where someone says, what are we going to do about, you know, the Indians? And a, a general says, listen, we have a lot of blankets that we're not using because they were infected with smallpox or people with smallpox were using them. Let's give them to the to the natives. And the only documented case of that is here. And I thought, like, well, what do I do with that? I I still think I would like to do something with it one day, but it didn't fit into 17 objects, even though it's a fascinating object. But it's a very dark, dark side of Pittsburgh. And I thought, if I go there, especially at the beginning of the show, how do I get myself out of that? So I did the deer horn or the cow horn.
1: Yeah, you're kind of – once you're there, once you go – Smallpox blankets. (laughs) You got you got a big hole to dig out of before you can be like. And here's this ice cream place (laughs) that I
0: like. Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard. Speaking of smallpox blankets, (laughs) we headed to the place in Denora. Probably cut this out, but if he can do impressions of Kennywood memories.
2: um... See, that's what I remember from like the first letter. I would like to know how you do these things, and I know Kennywood memories by heart. (laughs) You know, in what's her name, Um, Amy Winters. no, I was I was I'm
1: going, I will do that one, but the one I'm thinking of, Beth Snodgrass from Dravosburg Yep, she had somebody had created a Facebook page for her. People,
2: so many guys. And it love was a Beth picture Snodgrass. of her,
1: like looking up at the, what was it, the swings. So, um, this, is, <laughs> Amy Winters puts hot dogs on sticks, creating a Kennywood culinary classic, the corn dog. She makes them, but she doesn't eat them. Oh, so it's just an invitation of me. I thought well, you were going to do Well, there's but then there's, we used to go back in pavilions, and we would neck. <laughs> <laughs> just very matter-of-factly. Well, my cousins and I have kind of like put in a little bit more pittsburgh You go all the way up where the yeah, ride was, and you come all the way back where the shelters were to get your attitude tickets for the next ride.
2: Yeah, that guy probably has the most pronounced Pittsburgh. By the time of day was over, he was pretty dark tired. <laughs> but I feel like maybe the Kennywood memory...
0: Or uh, sequel should be you just tracking some of those people down and seeing where they're at in life.
2: (laughs) Actually, someone, but you know, just when you think Kennywood Memories is like played out, um, I, I, I'm gonna say, uh, is it three or four years now? I've been going once a year uh, with WDVE for their Kennywood Day. Yeah. And Randy Bauman told me that he was getting ready for the first one, and he thought, how are we gonna fill a whole morning with Kennywood? And somebody said, you, know, you should watch Kennywood Memories. And he had never seen it. He's from Erie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just, he, he really loved it. And so he started, and like, what they do every year is they bring back people from Kennywood Memories. And They brought Beth Snodgrass was she, this year or the year before. Um, and uh, Henny Henninger came out. He hadn't been to the park. He was there this year. He hadn't been to the park since it sold. And so it was and Gino, right? Yeah, and G- well, you know, Brian and Gino are there all, every year because um, they still work at the park. Oh my God. But I, I, you know, I love that too. And you know, and I, I always say, you know, I'm not going to do another Kennywood because it's not a family-owned business. But Kennywood made them the grand marshals of the fall parade. They're two head, you know. Maintenance guys, because they're so famous from Kennywood Memories. Well, it's, I mean, the documentary, it's like a documentary about
1: the documentary. That could be <laughs> Kennywood Memories, like Memories of Kennywood Memories. Yeah, exactly. I
2: mean, that's what it And it's Charles, what happened to Charles J. Jackways Jr.? I think he's still alive. Charles Jackways, I haven't heard that he ever died. He moved to Ohio, though. So he doesn't live in, uh, you know. First
1: time in the 1930s. <laughs> what did he say? I cornered yeah. the industry in three ring <laughs> notebooks. What you said was supposed to be a joke, but I didn't get it because he didn't really have a strong delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to corner the industry in three ring notebooks. <laughs> what was the, uh, the uh, auto ride? Had a series of little hills that should go over. And it looks like <laughs> rain on rainy days. It wouldn't quite get over them. And if you wouldn't quite get over them, there'd be one right in back you and know, there'd be a big accident. <laughs>
2: yeah. that that's, is very good burned, burned into his brain well you know what it is because and is, <laughs> watch because, out mother
1: you're gonna sit on me <laughs> <The
2: turtle. laughs> it's because you remember those things when you when you're a kid
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: you know it's like music you you know that music when you're in junior high and stuff like that that music you can still you know the lyrics and all of that mm-hmm. Um, And so I'm just lucky that there was a generation that watched Kennywood Memories so much they knew it by heart.
1: Well, I appreciate, you know, you not even hesitating, your willingness to help me out and uh, your friendship after me being a complete weirdo kid. Now now I'm just a weirdo older person. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) I think we got it.
2: It's gold. I don't know, but it was fun.
0: Check out the back episodes on weightwhatpro.com. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening.